1: Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn.
2: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'll give folks a minute or so to come into the room. My name is Brian Adams. I'm the founder and principal of Excelsior Capital. We are a private equity commercial real estate firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. We offer direct co-investment opportunities to individuals, family offices, multifamily offices, and RIAs on a deal-by-deal basis. This webinar uh, series is something that we've been doing for a while now to help educate our network and investors on topics that are germane to their investing world. And it ranges everything from alternatives to niche managers to commentary on what's happening within more of the macro environment, which is what we're talking about today. And we have a great panel. There's a lot of them. So hopefully, it'll be a good energetic conversation. Why don't we start with quick introductions, then we'll get right into the meat of the conversation. I'm going to start to my left, which is Dave.
0: Hi, I'm Dave Maney. I am the uh, founder and CEO of Deep. We do, uh, we create expert news where we help turn experts into national news, uh, frequent and prolific commentators, which puts us, and, and our biggest single customer vertical is finance. So that puts us at the intersection, interestingly, of traditional media, social media, and financial markets. And so that's the
2: perspective from which I uh, come. Moder, can you go next? Sure.
3: Morning, Brian, and a warm welcome to everyone tuning in on this Summer Friday. I'm uh, major Sarda, Head of Business and Client Development at Dash Rec Tech. Um, A little about me, started my career at Bear Stearns in 05, incredible experience witnessing some of the greatest years in 06, 07, to some of the most challenging ones in 08 and 09. As the reforms came in post the financial crisis, I moved in as a management consultant for the Big Four collaborating closely with the biggest banks on Wall Street to navigate, implement, and comply with these REG reforms. With this risk and REG background, I finally moved to Dash Regulatory Technologies, or DRT, in 2019. A little about DRT, uh, we are a niche REG tech solutions provider that delivers robust tools for broker-dealers to comply with SEC and FINRA regulations on net capital, haircut, and margin compliance requirements. It was started out of a garage in Valpo, Indiana during the late 80s by a gentleman called Len Ball and the so- software was called LDB for the longest time. We have been the gold standard experts in our space for over 25 plus years, and our client roster includes prop shops, market makers, prime service providers, and capital markets. We offer bespoke cloud-based solutions via SaaS platform dash 666 r which is the first and only RecTech tool in our space to be SOC 1 Type 2 attested. We also offer an on-prem option to our clients. So with all these experiences in the rec space in the past 15 years, I've been fortunate to have a front seat view of the financial market, and I look forward to an engaging discussion with the
4: panel. Thanks, Brian, again, for having me. Absolutely. Jeff, you're up. Hey, Brian. Great being here. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation. Certainly a lot to unpack. Uh, my background, I started in the 90s at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, working for John and Pete Nigerian, two guys with ponytails on CNBC you probably recognize, <laughs> I uh, transitioned to my own floor operation at the Chicago Board of Trade and then registered. So, I am the founder and CEO of KKM Financial, a registered firm back in 2012. We're a boutique asset management firm, have a, a variety of different products from option overlay products, dynamic stock selection, and also ETF model portfolios. But I want to use a football analogy as football season is about to kick off here uh, in the state of Illinois and Chicago. So I also play on both sides of the football, founder and CEO of KCAM Financial, but I'm also the chief investment officer for Sanctuary Wealth. Sanctuary Wealth is a partnered independence firm, 55 different advisory firms inside of Sanctuary Wealth, about $20 billion. And it's been great uh, in 2021 when I became the CIO of Sanctuary Wealth as well. CNBC contributor too, I'm supposed to say contractually, also CNBC contributor. That's <laughs> it, Right. I'm out. I just got the wrap in the air.
5: Thanks, Jeff, you're good. Ryan, you're bad and clean up here. Cool, uh, Ryan Payne, Payne Capital Management. I have a wealth management firm out in New York City. We also have an office in Philadelphia, and I use the same football analogy. I play on both sides because I do. Com- I'm a commentator on Fox Business and CNBC, so uh, I-, I talk on both channels. I have a podcast, Pain Points of Wealth, that's uh, P-A-Y-N-A. I have a radio show here in New York City, so uh, pretty prolific in terms of just uh, always coming up with lots of content and thinking about the financial markets. So an honor to be here and excited for the conversation today. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get
2: right into it. Could somebody define what a meme stock is? And is
5: that definition changing? Ryan, since you went last, I'm going to start with you. Nice. Um, So I think, you know, we know what a meme is, right? It's probably not, depending on your generation, I'm generation X. So we're probably a little late to the party in, in a meme, in what a meme is online, where it's usually just a funny comment and a picture. A lot of times these go viral. Well, you know we've seen this with certain stocks over the course of the last year. Now it's interesting because all this has transpired since we had the pandemic. Uh, when we had the pandemic, up into the pandemic, like the last decade in stocks in general, it was a very under-participated stock market, which is kind of interesting. You know, people were not that interested in the stock market for like a good decade, and I think the great financial crisis had a lot to do with that. However, once we had the lockdown, had the pandemic, and all of a sudden the government bespo- bestowed you know, trillions of dollars on the economy, all of a sudden you had a lot of people at home with stimulus checks. They had money to spend. They couldn't go out and gamble. And all of a sudden, you know, you had all these Reddit chats start to form where you, know, you had literally smaller investors colluding together uh, to buy different stocks. You may have heard of GameStop, AMC, uh, Robinhood, being another one, and essentially leveraging up these stocks, including together. To pump these stocks and they've made massive moves in the market. And we've seen a lot of hedge funds and big money that may have been betting against some of these stocks actually lose their shirt. So it's just been this like phenomenon that we've seen since the pandemic. And it's still going on. And you're seeing smaller investors move markets, which is something that we really haven't seen before. It's usually run by big institutional money, hedge funds. And a lot of would say that, you know, we're kind of like getting a taste of their own medicine with these smaller investors being able to, to invest together in groups in concert and really move different stocks. And a lot of the big ones, again, like AMC and GameStop. Have been Ryan,
4: like top let me mind. jump in there because I think you're absolutely right. I think it's been phenomenal for finance to see all these younger investors come into the marketplace. Uh, but I wouldn't say small investors actually move the marketplace. Those small investors, there's 200 million Reddit users. So when they get herded up and they have the ability to really focus, and as you know, Brian, they've been really focused on that short interest. You know, at the beginning of the year, there were like 45 companies that had short interest of more than 30%. Now, it's in the teens, about 18 companies. So they're really trying to identify where these hedge funds are short and really try to blow out those positions. And we've seen, as we trade markets on you know day-to-day, market-to-market calls, some of those margin calls have really moved higher. Now, some of these smaller investors, Certainly, they've been you know caught a little bit off sides when they were buying GameStop above $400 for that pico second. But nonetheless, it has been a phenomenon. I embrace it. Uh, this is a great way for people to come in. If you rewind you know, 100 years ago when I started in the business, I was able to go down to the floor of the Chicago Board and options Exchange. That opportunity doesn't exist. So Reddit kind of is that conduit for a lot of these young traders to come into the marketplace. Yeah, let me yeah, have, for, for, have,
2: Mara, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. I, I, I think between Ryan and Jeff, we, we covered it a lot of stuff that's
3: happening in, in, in the markets, I just want to kind of take a step back and tell our uh, viewers how, how this phenomenon started a little bit, right? So, so this whole, the, the meme craze, actually, if you look back, the, the term called stonks came in, in 2017 via a Facebook meme, and it was a par- purposeful misspelling, right? A long throwaway joke among market obsessors and meme lords that became ubiquitous with the entire world of media, finance, politics, and internet. And all of this kind of massively intersected earlier this year in January when the the GameStop saga happened. So it was a larger story about finance, technology, and like a social trading revolution where people are following, there's a herd mentality, people are following some of the Reddit followers into the market and just piling up on those trades, right? Uh, And so it's a very interesting kind of background here. And stones actually the, the image. If nobody's seen it, you look it up. It's the image of a generic business dude, right, with a 3D head and just a ticker of a giant arrow pointing up, with a suggestion of an empty head overconfidence, saying, you know what, you it's a, it's a dumb joke about just invest the money and it's just going to go up. Well. So that's kind of in 2017, and then 2019, Elon Musk kind of brought this to the fore by saying it's a strong tip of the day and so on. So we've seen that kind of. Uh, Take a notch higher to the last three four years, and this, with the pandemic, it got a massive boost with so many more eyeballs, as the as Brian and uh, Ryan and Jeff mentioned, and so many people with the trading apps, commission free apps. It's like the gamification of the entire trading platforms. That's kind of got this whole momentum of the meme stocks into flow in the last six months or so.
2: So Ryan, you made a mention, used the term in your statement of uh, collusion. Do you think this is actually collusion in practice? And will
5: regulatory authorities crack down on this? That's a good question. Now, I mean, first off, hedge funds been doing it for years, right? Now, there's been a lot of collusion among hedge funds where they would all get in on a trade. And it's probably worked very, very successfully for a very long period of time. And it's always been legal. Now, I wonder though, because it is the little guy investor. And to Jeff's point, right? We're talking about a little guy, a lot of little guys together. In fact, you know, I've seen stats like a hundred million probably small investors colluding together. like it's just like astronomical numbers. Now to put that in perspective, back in ninety nine two thousand, we had like kind of the same type of thing. You had a lot of lawyers and doctors quitting their day jobs to trade. and it was this big phenomenon back when we had like really internet trading. That was like the first, I guess, amalgamation of that. But the the interesting thing about that, that was like 10,000 people. So when you're talking about this many people, like 100 million people, you know, quote unquote, colluding together, I mean, at the end of the day, it is legal. I don't think there's anything illegal about it, but you never know what the regulators, they like to protect the hedge funds, not necessarily the little guys. So I think it's gonna be interesting how that plays out. And the SEC is looking into a lot of these chats um, and what's actually going on there. But at the end of the day, the other thing I always question is, well who's smarter these hedge fund managers or these individual traders that are cluding together you know we have a joke about hedge fund managers and people in the financial world it's ordinary people thinking they can do extraordinary things and a lot of them have gotten caught you know short on the wrong side of these trades where they've shorted these stocks or bet against them and then banned these smaller traders acting together have basically you know helped them lose billions of dollars so it's a fascinating Thing to watch and also questions like how smart are these hedge fund managers anyway
4: Oh, uh, okay. Let me jump in real quick, Brian, because I think that's just a sensational thing. You talk about the word extraordinary, and we've all traded a lot of different markets. We've seen you know all the different bubbles, we've seen the great recession, we've seen the flash crash. I, I've been through a lot, and, and you have gray hairs to prove it. But the interesting the thing, yeah, that's right. But the interesting thing here, right, is that you look at GameStop, the 52 week range in GameStop is five dollars up to 483. Like, this is whatever extraordinary times a thousand is, that's where we're at. So when you see a a stock like GameStop, we have to really strip out the fact this is trading versus investing. And the trading, the volatility have always been attracted to trading volatility. So this has been sensational. But think about it fundamentally. GameStop, has lost money every year from 2014, 15, 16, all the way up to 2019. <laughs> they haven't had a winning year since 2013. And now GameStop's up about 989%. It's even more amplified with AMC up about 2000 percent year to date. So I think it's really important the takeaway today that these are short-term. We're talking minutes, if not sometimes seconds, to get in and out of this. And that's why it's been so attractive as people stay at home with COVID-19. They're having the ability to take some of their stimulus checks and trade it around. And thus far it's been really profitable. We have not seen any true blow up or any true um, crash, unless you were obviously buying GameStop above $400. I
0: wanted to, want, li- I I, wanted to listen a little bit. Uh, yeah, Dave, I want I'm, to get you in the mix here. <laughs> I'm less of a, uh, I'm less of, I, I am not a market strategist guy. I am much more steep kind of um, the, the news media and, and social media and the effects of, Changes in those things on society in and, and the economy in a lot of different ways. That's really my wheelhouse. And what's interesting, as in so many things, th- this is th- what's going on with this meme stock uh, movement or phenomenon or whatever we want to call it is remarkably, you know, it, it is history repeating itself. In in very many ways, like the, the, yeah. the history. By the way, I would make one book recommendation for anybody who's really interested in what's happening in, in, in the audience. And my guess is these guys either know the stories or or have read the book. But there is a book called uh, "Devil Take the Hindmost: A History of Financial Speculation," it's written by a guy named Chancellor, probably twenty five years ago, and uh, it is. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a recounting of uh, speculative financial mania since the Roman Empire, and looking at, in effect, what what powered them. And there's a set of circumstances that keep coming up every time. There is something going on that is different. Usually, there is a a change either in the in the in the society itself, or a technology, or or a, a you know. Sometimes there was a South Seas speculative bubble when, when English explorers started to try to commercially exploit the you know, the, the South Seas islands. There was the, the, the tulip bulb thing everybody knows about was when effectively Western Europe started to trade with Asia and, and Asia Minor. And so you see these things and, and there's this pattern of something changes and everybody decides in effect this time it's different. Yes. And you can see that you can see these things here now where you know, you've got this financial difference of zero commission trading. You have communications changes of very many sort of tightly knit communities. And you have a societal background thing, which is that all authoritative information frameworks have been eroded away. So no longer does the Wall Street Journal get to say those of us Here, who do television news? I mean, let's be frank, nobody cares what we say on (laughs) on TV. (laughs) They probably don't care what we say here. Like, (laughs) there's just this multiplicity of information that makes it very, very hard to sort out. And so, into that wades these, you know, flashy influencers and and smart ass redditors and, and 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 suddenly, you know, there's just an, a, a, an, an explosive speculative bubble. I suspect, you know, not all speculative bubbles end with gigantic economic pain, but they almost always end in significant pain for the speculators. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that's my my biggest assumption is that's what's yeah. likely to happen, whether it takes down a larger segment of the economies, you know, you, you guys would be better qualified than I to say.
5: I I just jump yeah. in real quick on that. That I, I think that's exactly right, right? It's history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. We all know the Mark Twain quote. And I think that's when we look at these things. And I don't know if I can speak for everybody here, but we, I always look at it as like, what can we look at this new speculative bubble? Like, what in the past is analogous of what's happening right now? And you know, a little bit right now, I kind of feel like when I'm going out to a restaurant and someone's talking about their Bitcoin holdings or their meme stocks, it's kind of like back in 2008 when you know I'm sitting at a restaurant and the waiter and the waitress is telling me about how they have five condos and are against those condos, buy more condos. And in the back of your mind, you're just thinking, you know, kind of to Dave's point here, somewhere, somehow, I don't know how this is probably going to end poorly for all these you know, people that are involved in the speculation. And this doesn't look that much different from my perspective as well.
4: Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, And typically, yes, we we do see these things end poorly. But the overarching theme I kind of go back to here is that. Yes, there's going to be some some bad situations of people overinvested. There's no diversification. People are all in. If it's crypto, if it's GameStop, if it's AMC. But the fact that we're even having this conversation that this whole new next generation. I mean, if you look at look at you know, I know AMC. The last time they actually made money you know it was 2016 you know some of those reddit traders weren't even born in 2016 but the bigger picture and the win here i think is that we have new people coming in in this type of anticipation you know they haven't really unpacked the fact that robin hood you know free trades commission free well they're getting paid for their order flow 75% of the revenue coming into hood is for order flow. The SEC has to address that at some point. So I think as we're kind of moving here, it is a big win that people are coming in, but there's still a lot of evolution in this space, even though it's 2021.
3: Yeah, just quickly jumping in from the you know, original question on the regulatory, what, what we we may expect, right? And and we have a pulse on the market in from from a client's perspective, and we also serve as a conduit between SEC Finra and, and our clients. So what we are seeing is definitely some heightened regulatory scrutiny. Over the last six months or so, the Chairman Gensler already spoke about this at the testimony before the House of Financial Services Committee, right, in May. And he highlighted all the points mentioned by the panelists. I mean, gamification of user experience, PFAS payment for auto flow, equity market structure, short selling, social media, uh, clearing and settlement, and system wide risk. So what I want to drive everyone's attention to is there is, once this the dust settled in from, from the GameStop saga in early February, SEC, FINRA quickly stepped in. They start sending out investor, you know, newsletters, you know, reminding people of what the policies and procedures should be for the broker-dealers on your house maintenance margin requirements. Because remember that Robinhood had to cut off, you know, the, the buying activity for all these meme stocks due to the heightened margin requirements that DTCC put put together for them, right? And it just shot over, overnight at like $3 billion or so from less than a billion. So, and they had no collateral to put that up. so. So, there, there is a disconnect between the in house models. Obviously, Robinhood is a newer player. There's a disconnect between the in house margin models that firms use to what the DTCC or the NSCC is expecting to put up against collateral. Clearing and settlement, the, the pipes of the trading are a very important aspect for this whole um, piece. And then it's kind of brought together to the fore How, what should we do about, you know, move away from T plus two settlement that currently is to move from T plus one or even real time settlement? So that the money doesn't get clogged up in the system, and there's ample liquidity, and people are not stopped from trading. So there's obviously a lot of moves by SEC. finra you know, there's investigations going on. You know, with the Archegos collapse, that was one casualty, Jeff, from this whole piece, right? In in late March, April, when Archegos collapsed, and there's a whole, uh, you know, this was concentration risk. It was not the, again, ycom CBS, all these guys got up caught in the mean submania as well. And then Archegos was caught on the wrong side of it with the extreme leverage it took into place with total return swaps using like six different prime brokers. With a 10, 20 billion in liquidity, it went up to 100 billion. And then it all went bust. So Maryland Capital was one play. I mean, they got lucky with Citadel and uh, 0.72, Asset Management stepping in and saving their behinds when all this happened. But essentially- and that worked out
4: pretty well for them on that, their IPO, uh, right? Exactly,
3: exactly. So- so yeah, there's a lot of ongoing investigations. We'll definitely see something in Q3, Q4 from the regulators on this subject. We know, uh, you know, they are going to address some some facets of this which are not covered, or strengthened, or even
4: bring out new rules. But at this point, all I would say, say is that you know we have such faith in Congress in Washington D.C. that's <laughs> so functional. You're absolutely right. We're going to have a solution in Q3. <laughs> yes,
5: yeah, you know that is. Sure they did a, a great that, job that uh, catching the Madoff scheme. Go ahead. <laughs> that is right.
4: an
0: interesting. The government thing is an interesting. Problem because that, that too is that you know, one of the things that I sense is that there is, first of all, with response to what Mader was talking about, that the the nature of financial regulation is, of course, uh, you know, closing the barn door after the horse is gone, like because, in fact, there's always a new game, you know, a a, new new muscle that they've got to chase out. What's interesting, I think, we're at this point right now where. Uh, and 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 you could you could look at the rise of of cryptocurrencies as as part of this thing, but in effect, every authority source, maybe most centrally and critically, the government or world—it's not just the U.S. government; it's it's every government around the world—is is in effect being proven ineffective, like impotent. They can't get things done. They can't, they, and it's not one place, right? It's like. Ooh, look what a great job Australia's done at, at, at keeping COVID in check. And then it's uh oh, you know, shutdown after shutdown after shutdown. And, and that that notion has rotated around the world of these guys really know what they're doing, and it's like, oh wait, they're idiots. And 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 I think that is the nature of an information-flooded world that we now live in. Is the, the idea of central authority is very, very hard to maintain. And so, think about that in this context of you know trying to where before regulation was sticking your fingers in a pretty limited numbers of holes in the dam. Now this is like oh my god! I mean this is like a you know Space Invaders times you know on on some kind of wild steroids. And, and Dave, Dave, you're absolutely right.
4: You hit the nail on the head, and that's the win in the sale sale of DeFi. Decentralized finance, but that's a whole other show. Brian can have us back on talking about. But right here, right now, you know, one of my favorite quote quotes from Coach Holtz when I played for him back in the nineties. The acronym he liked to use was WIN. And what's important now? What's important now is that we are going to continue to see volatility. We're going to see dislocation in the market, and that's a great trading opportunity. You have to be careful. You have to use stops. But from a trader's perspective, a true trader's perspective. This is historic. I don't know who said historic earlier, but this is absolutely historic. And I know we have historic moments every couple, you know, five, six, seven years. But this really is historic when you actually look at the nuts and bolts and the fundamentals of the stocks, the way they're traded.
5: Yeah, well, Jeff, you know, just to that point, it's always good to remember, too, that day traders, eventually after two years, 80%, 90% lose money, right? right? So I think the other part of that is you're going to get a lot of new traders. They're going to learn some pretty rough lessons, you know, somewhere, somehow over the next year, two years. A lot of this is just about liquidity, right? There's just so much goddamn money out there right now. Um, and at some point, you know, that money is gonna dry up, right? At some point, we're when? just talking about the Fed today. At some point, <laughs> rates are going up. You no, know, the bond buying uh, is gonna stop. We hope. I don't know, there's no 3.5 trillion that might be coming down the pipeline here. I don't think rates week. ever go up.
4: That, that's the that's the catcher, Ryan. I mean, I'm at the ripe old age of 46. We're never gonna see the 10-year back up at three, four, five percent in my right. lifetime. I'm a big believer of that, and that's because the Fed who reiterated and articulated today that their balance sheet expansion, they're knocking on $9 trillion. How do they unwind that? I mean, everyone's yeah. focused on tapering, tapering. That means nothing. T- tapering, we're going from 120 billion a month to 90 billion a month. That's still amazing to see the amount of purchases and just swells their balance sheet. So I'm with you. It's probably gonna end badly, but I just don't know when.
5: Yeah, well, if I did, i be on my yacht, unfortunately. Well, so, fair enough. To, but, so to reorient
2: the, the conversation because it's been really good. Are these this army of retail traders, these these Reddit folks, are they wrong to pile into these stocks and these names if over the last 10 or 20 years owning assets, be they real assets, stocks, etc., has been the way to create wealth? I mean, are they fundamentally wrong with what they're doing?
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> I think the way that
0: the way they're going about it. I mean, I I you know, I'm just listening to what, what Ryan's show sounds like and you know, kind of his orientation. I mean, I, 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 it, it never changes. I mean, doing the right stuff—that's the, the the timeless thing. Is that the thing that's not timeless is the the you know these speculative froths hit, frankly, about every twenty years. Which, if you think about it, is about that's the length of a generation, right? I mean, like that's how long it takes to go from from stupid to not as stupid. <laughs> and and I think that's a, it, 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 it has always been thus and probably will be. And and I really think that phrase of this time it's different, this time it's not different.
4: I, I just think you have to understand, Brian, you know, where are you positioned? If all of your net worth is inside of GameStop, you know, American Airlines had a pop because they're sure, if you're all focused and you're not diversified, it's going to end badly. However, if you can try to, to evolve and be a little more mature in your investing, understand that I have X amount allocated, here's my risk appetite, here's my play money. I'm going to trade this hot and this yeah. is going to be my beta. Well, then it's not going to end badly for you. But I think if you don't have that planned out, yeah, that, that's, I mean, Ryan, I mean, how, many, how many stories have we heard over the years about how it ends badly when people are over their skis or non-diversified in essence?
5: Yeah, and I think that's the that's actually a great point because I think that's where a lot of investors are going to miss the boat right now is a lot of markets are cheap and not all markets are created equal. Like I think it's surprising this year the French stock market's outperforming the Nasdaq. Right? Like who would guess that? And we know the Nasdaq is your innovative, you know, quote-unquote growthier type of companies and meanwhile, I got to tell you innovation is not the dominant type of company that's in the uh, in the in the French stock market. So, you know, if you look at it globally right now, I mean, valuations are relatively cheap. You know, the greatest population growths outside the U.S. Multiples are a lot cheaper. Meanwhile, like every portfolio I look at, we review like 50 portfolios a month. You know, Wall Street is just, you know, we're just as guilty. If you look at Wall Street is everyone just overweights what's working in large cap growth is another you know, conversation, tech stocks, mean stocks, whatever it is, that's where everyone's putting their money right now. And they're going to just miss the boat on where markets are actually cheap and probably a much better value over the next five, 10 years. And that's where, Jeff, to your point, I mean, diversity right now is so critical and it's a great opportunity that no one's talking about.
4: Yeah. And that diversification, I think, kind of leads in, and, you know, Dave kind of hit on earlier uh, of the dispersion. When you see this dispersion, when you see Extraordinary events, you know, I think you have the ability, if you're nimble enough and you're disciplined enough, you can really try to capture that. But on the same notion, uh, you know, you're not going to turn, you know, $100 or a $600 stimulus check, you know, into $6 million. That's just not plausible, no matter, you know, how big of a range
5: GameStop has. (laughs) Unless you bought doggy corn, you're just scared. And and (laughs) what does it mean for
2: the financial services industry that we were talking about this on the pre-call that now there are analysts and folks within these? Old line white shoe, bullish bracket banks coming through Reddit comments.
5: <laughs> I think well, it's awesome. Okay, it, let's
2: go though. It, it,
0: it is. I mean, look, the the I, I'm of two minds on that. I I, I do think. I, I mean, I, I started writing a column 11 years ago called Economic Revolution, and it was, and and the fundamental premise was that the economic structures we have literally everything from the nature of companies to markets to jobs like what those things are the way they're structured has to do with with inefficient information flows and when you when when those information flows become very efficient as they are now the nature of all those things changes and the pandemic by the way the the changes to to what's happening to jobs like the structure of jobs is actually something i was just Found this. I was writing about eight or nine years ago, and it took the pandemic to kind of trigger that forward leap. What what I think is happening here is that that the, the financial services industry was very much wired into that previous information structure. So on the one hand, it's not prepared for that kind of you know thousand points of light, million billion points of light world in which information's everywhere. That's definitely true. On the other hand, I, I was really struck at the beginning of the pandemic when I spent about two weeks kind of in a in a you know, what's going because it's my business, what's going on in the popular media and how is this being covered? And then I linked up with one of my friends who's in the hedge fund business, and I was struck by how different and how vastly more informed his information sources were than in effect every news media outlet and and that is a difference that kind of difference in information because right now there is no functioning news media that that kind of genuinely can give you insight yeah. that's a very big difference so somebody is going to kind of harness the the billion points of light thing but link it up with the fact that that scale matters and and to me that is i don't know who that is or what that will look like i suspect it's very unlikely that it will be a traditional player, but something very different is going to happen in the financial
2: services business.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Dave, you made some good points here. And, and we also, we were talking about this on the pre-call. It was highlighted in today's Wall Street Journal, right, in terms of Wall Street looking to Reddit for advice. And, and we know and we've heard speculatively that there were some bad players in those, in those times in January and February who are driving up the prices even more. And finally, the, some of the retail traders are left holding the bag once GameStop crashed, right? From 500 to whatever it went down to. So we, we know there's some speculation out there. We know that banks and some of the players are already on those forums looking for advice and looking to follow the trends uh, on Reddit. And there's also another interesting article on how company C suites are tending to these meme lords, right? With uh, Ryan Cohen and uh, uh, Aaron Adams of AMC. They, these guys are now just focused on pleasing the the Reddit investors uh, with, with their Twitter and the social media strategies. Everything they do, they because none of these stocks are trading on fundamentals anymore. It is just purely speculation, volatility, uh, and leverage that's out there in the market. So it, it is a, it's a brand new world, and I think it's here to stay. Yeah.
5: Well, just to comment on that too, I think there's this like this belief that these hedge funds, you know, that this is the smart money. But if you look at statistically, if you look at hedge funds since the financial crisis, their performance is horrible. You know, like I don't know if it's like one percent a year or, or negative one percent a year for the last decade. But hedge funds have a terrible track record. And if you just bought the S and P, and a lot of this, you know, no coincidence, coincided with the fact that regulation got tougher. After the Great Financial Crisis, before that, hedge funds essentially had illegal inside information. And going back to this whole flow of information, they're just on the same side of the fence as everybody else now, trying to get the same information. Hence, they're so desperate they're going into a Reddit chat because they don't have illegal information anymore. You know, so there's no, you know, it's no coincidence again that like their performance was phenomenal back before the Great Financial Crisis because they were trading illegally. So I think that's another thing that people forget is hedge funds aren't the smart money, and their performance. Proves that it's been absolutely awful for, for over a decade.
4: Now. Yeah, right. And that's a pretty tough broad swath paintbrush you just used. I mean, all hedge funds are evil. All hedge funds are bad. There are some managers that have outperformed consistently. Mario Gabelli is one of these guys. Look at his track record going back to the '80s. He's provided alpha for a lot of investors, including my grandpa, who invested in his fund, you know, back in the '80s. So I'm with you. I, and there are some bad apples out there, but I can't I can't agree with you that the whole cart is all bad characters. Well, you if I I
0: might throw light on what the, the the difference, what I was talking about was not a difference in intelligence broadly speaking. I was uh, as in the intelligence of the managers, but instead of the quality of the information they get. If gotcha. and I will say this, Ryan, and this is something that if I know one thing, it's that the 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 information that's available broadly speaking, if you don't have. The, a, a filter or you don't have some ability to kind of um deeply process it and and the, and the notion that these meme investors are doing that like oh, not the case T- take a look at that piece for that that i i put it in the chat the one uh, mayor was referring to the one we were talking about on the pre chat it's in today's wall street journal there's a there's a, a line in there or there's a line in the subheadline that says, Essentially, that that everything's cool as long as these influencers don't say anything against meme stocks, because then they would lose their popularity. Yes. that That is not the same information flow that those hedge fund guys are working off of. Now, they may do the wrong thing with their information. They may make bad decisions. To Jeff's point, I think there's smart ones and dumb ones, but their information flow, what's coming to them is it is. What's what's available to you with a hundred million dollars in management fees is a lot better information than than Joe Blow and his shorts can get in his basement.
4: Yeah, and I think when you really dissect information, you know, some hedge fund managers, some CTA, CPOs. I mean, a long time ago, they used to look at balance sheets. A long time ago, they used to visit the manufacturer. A long time ago, we used to talk to management. Now everything is you know influenced. And that's and the world we live in. So I think that's been a challenge, you know, as a long-term investor as well as a short-term trader to kind of measure, you know, what is coming out short-term, what's actually real, and then at the end of the day, you know, when you talk about a, a company like GameStop, right? You know, I mean, they were blockbuster video prior to the meme stocks keeping them inflated now above two hundred dollars. If you were short, you got carried out in the body bag. So I, I respect. The influencers, I respect Reddit. I think it's great that people are getting trading, but I think we have to revert at some point. I don't know what that catalyst is that brings us back to reversion of actual investing on value and growth and the typical metrics that we've been using for years.
5: They ever take the punch bowl away, which sounds like they might not. Well, uh, based on what you're standing. Uh, right. No, but I think I think very analogous again, going back to history. I mean, we, we saw what happened during the dot com bubble. We saw how that burst. And we saw how literally, you know, once that liquidity went away, just how quickly the fundamentals can fall apart. I mean, think about the Nasdaq. If you got caught in the Nasdaq decline back in 2000, it took brutal. you 14 years to break even. So, you know, I think this is a place where you can actually be early and get out as well. So, you know, waiting for the party to stop or the music to stop. I mean, again, 14 years to break even. Again, who knows? You know, if this does implode, presumably at some point, like how long will investors, you know, how long will it take for all these markets? To actually regain where they were again, so I think it is a good time now to be proactive while the winds at your back and start thinking about again going back to that diversification conversation. Like it's probably a good time to start taking chips off the table and start moving your money away from where all the speculation is.
2: So, if we all kind of agree that the Fed is partially responsible for this by just pumping liquidity into the marketplace, and and Madar, I want to hear from you specifically to begin. Is it really the place of the SEC and FINRA to to try to regulate this? Versioning, you know, market participation group. You know, I I
3: mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. So, anytime speculations happen, anytime uh, a cry, let me give you a small anecdote right before I, I get into it. You look back at the financial crisis; I was a bear, so it's first sense, you know, the 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 highs, and then how the leverage was taken up with these complex financial instruments, CDOs, CLOs, CDO squares. I mean, it was insane what was being sold to clients because we were marking it from the pricing side and you know the leverage of 30x or something. So everything then just came tumbling down when you're on the wrong side of it, right? With only a 20 billion market cap that Bear had, 80 plus years of profitable, profitability, one of the top Wall Street banks who never had a bad year and they just went bust, right? So you think about how this kind of bubbles up and the reforms that came after uh, the Dodd Frank regulations and so on that and all the banks had to comply. And, and now we're seeing, we're seeing a similar speculation, right? It, it's not as massive in size, it's very small, so the response is more tactical. Uh, it, it won't be more broad-based. As, as other folks mentioned, it's not gonna be so much on you know, the, the Reddit players, but, but the board itself, is there any, are there any bad apples there? So they're combing through trillions and trillions of data points, right, on the forums. And that'll take a while. But for what SEC and FINRA can do is make sure you know the, the broker dealers or the clearing houses everybody has their house in order. There are regulations set in place. They will look for what, what happened. Why did the liquidity stop during that uh, that craziness? Uh, are are the models uh, right? Are they in place? There's also with the Artegos collapse. There's concentration risk back in focus, and and OCC you know is talking about getting that back into. Uh, the Tim's model, which is a theoretical margin system, right? So it, it, there, there's a lot of talk, uh, as Jeff Jeff said. You know, we can we can wait uh, a lifetime waiting for Congress to pass something, but at the same time, I think the wheels are turning. We can see some sort of focus on uh, to rein in these uh, the enthusiasm a little bit, uh, not squash it completely. Whether it's crypto regulation, you know, we haven't talked about it. That that's something certainly that's uh, you know being looked at very actively. So. I think with all, you put all these different pieces of the jigsaw together, there is a, there's definitely a feeling that regulators are going to, you know, rein in this enthusiasm a little bit. The liquidity is going to be out there. The tap is never going to be turned off by the Fed, as we all know. So, you know, the, what the regulators can do is make sure that all the gaps, any gaps they see are addressed, and they kind of strengthen the, regla- the regulations for all the major players and market makers and so on. So that's what we expect to come down the pike.
2: It's truly ironic that what is in essence a you know retail investing issue one of the most immediate regulatory impacts may be heightened scrutiny of family offices. I mean <laughs> it couldn't get more backwards in terms of the the near term you know impacts from a regulatory perspective.
3: Yeah, but but Brian, let me address that because that was specifically I think with the Archegos collapse right? because it is a family fund office how they were able to leverage up, you know, a five six x with their existing positions using six different prime brokers, and none of these guys knew that the leverage Bill going had on this uh, handful of stocks, right? It, it was crazy. So, you know, you can use total construct. There's a lot of ambiguity, and you know, there's not enough clarity in terms of who owns it, what what happens, and you know, for banks to cover their downside risk. So ultimately, for banks had to sell the stock that are uh, behind the the contracts the total return swaps and that drove the prices further down so i think i think to to your point about the the family fund office, i think the excessive leverage that's being taken with these small offices with no scrutiny at all i think that certainly needs to be addressed there needs to be something done where you just cannot drive up your 10 billion fund to 100 billion leverage and and then just everything goes bust in a week or so so i think that part, I think, certainly needs to be addressed. But, uh, but you're right. The, the, it started off as a retail focus that is still, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is driven more by retail. And I'm not sure what the regulators can do about that. So time will tell.
2: So we've got about five minutes left. I'm going to be mindful of everyone's schedules. Dave, you seem to have a very kind of large macro historical perspective here. What can you tell us about this shift towards the I think it's an overused hackneyed term, but the democratization of access—not even to alternatives, but just assets in general—in today's zero fee, you know, technology-enabled financial services industry.
0: Well, the, you know, the, the, the one thing that I believe is kind of the you know the rock is figuring out what the large forces are and 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 observing them and and projecting their effects and the large force here of this you know this what whether you want to call it this democratization of information or or this infinite information flow whatever you want to call it is that's very real and that is irreversible and so that you know m- my urging to investors would be to identify these these clearly powerful and true trends and then you know, put your filter or 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 an expert advisor's filter or whoever's filter you decide to trust. That goes back to that that conversation about good information, bad information. You know, it it, it really is kind of how you filter and what you decide about. It. You're not going to see something backing off in the ability of the whole world to publish information. What I think people need to, to do is develop. Better and better filtering and and framework mechanism, better ways to say who or what is kind of consistently true or consistently points the way forward. And again, if I'm thinking about just winners and losers in the financial services business, it's who is not who's paying attention to or driving their train based off of meme stocks or what the folks on Reddit are saying, but who is somehow gathering and channeling all that information to use it as a powerful force. The last thing I'll say is, if you look at this, I I put this this Wall Street Journal piece from this morning in the chat. And if you read it, the thing that struck me the most is that that none of these influencers are based on performance. They're all based on kind of popularity. And if you want to think about it, you know what what is the likelihood that GameStop's going to keep going? I mean, think about it. That's the equivalent of the ALS ice bucket challenge or, you know, do the Harlem shake. I mean, those are memes, right? And they're gone except as kind of, you know, brief flickers in our in our collective memory. So we should all be aware the individual memes may rise and fall, but there's the, there's not real value behind the madness of the
5: crowd. Ryan, you look like you want to say something. <laughs> I just love everything Dave says. <laughs> I feel it in my bones, man. No, I'll just say, you know, look, I mean, there, there's a, an old quote that stock speculations is as old as the hills. And I'm kind of paraphrasing. There's nothing new on Wall Street. And that was by Jesse Livermore, who was a famous trader from the 1920s. And I do think that human nature just you know perpetually repeats itself over and over again. And, and I do think that there is a value here. We're all veterans here on this call. I think Jeff said it best, you know, why we have our scars on our back and you know, our hair is getting grayer is because, man, oh man, when those devastating market collapses come, and they do come, you know, that's what it's all about. Protecting yourself against the downside, not getting all the upside during these you know, speculative bubbles. And I think that's where there's a lot of value in understanding the past and learning from the past and applying that to what you're doing in the future. Because again, you know, going back to that Wall Street Journal article, one of those YouTubers a year ago or two years ago was selling real estate in California. Now he's like literally swaying his like 2 million plus subscribers about his views on the market. And, you know, not to say, hey, I think it's really cool that he's getting out to the public, but I'm sure he doesn't know the devastation of what these down markets look like. And I think that's where I say like, you know, hail to the the veterans that, you know, have been through it before.
4: And I'll just piggyback Ryan real quick with, uh, you know, an old pit analogy we love to hear because I think it's really a prudent approach, but pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. (laughs) You know, I've heard it a thousand times in my career and it's the absolute truth. So if you have dedicated to trade some of these meme stocks, understand what your loss, understand what your downside is. Just like when Ryan goes to Vegas, he only brings uh, one suitcase full of cash and that suitcase, if it doesn't come back, he understands, but it's defining that what you're about to lose. So pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered.
2: Nice. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us today awesome panel i usually will do like how to get in touch with people but there's too many of you guys so we're just going to include it on the show notes you each produce incredible content and doing great things and so you know i want to thank you for taking the time on a summer friday to join us here and um, if any of us interested in joining or connecting with any of the panelists i'm always available to make introductions but we will be providing content information the follow-ups and the show notes when this posts. so thank you all i appreciate it have a great weekend
1: Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up!